Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Everest Akajobi. Joined on the line today by my special friend, four-year NBA veteran, seven-year pro, McDonald's All-American, D-League All-Star. His waves get you sicker than the coronavirus in China. You can find him at RayMac3 everywhere on social media. The man that travels the globe for the bag, Mr. Ray McCallum Jr. What up, bro? My man, E, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. How you doing these days, man? Oh, I'm great, man. I can't complain at all. Uh, actually, just got back home from China, so uh, enjoying the time with the fam and just being back in America, in America for the moment. Ah, getting some of that good food. And what was the first meal you ate when you touched down back in America? No, you know what? I actually, uh, I actually went and got some Mexican food, man. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I went, I went and got some Mexican food. You know, I've, I've lived down south. You know, sometimes in my day, that being down here in New Orleans right now, visiting the family, uh, that was the first stop, man, as soon as I got off the plane. Ooh, what you get? Uh, you know, I'm really big on queso, man. I, I love some chips and queso, so I got that. <laughs> got a little burrito and a taco, man. I just want to – I don't know. For some reason, I was just feeling, I feeling like I needed some Mexican food. That's the first place I hit up. <laughs> Well, you know, me being from Texas, you know, I know all about the Mexican food, the the quesadillas, enchiladas, and tres leches, all that good stuff. Oh, yeah, man. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> Before we get into our podcast, uh, I know, like we mentioned, you played in the NBA for four years. We had a recent tragedy with Kobe Bryant a few weeks ago. You had a recent post where you showed your followers, you know, some times where you played against Kobe uh, what were some of those moments that you know you can share with us, or some of those times when you first stepped out on the court and you uh, had to play defense against Kobe? Yeah, man. I mean, it was it was definitely a tragedy to see that, um, you know, for him and his daughter, and, and you know, for his family to have to go through that. Um, so you know, they're definitely out, in, you know, in my prayers. And uh, man, you know, Kobe was an icon, man. That's you know, to to us, everyone playing basketball, myself. Uh, I mean, he was a superhero. Um, so to, to see that happen um, and just to see the impact, you know, he had on, you know, people around the world. You know, I was on the whole other side of the world when it happened. Um, and, you know, everybody was repping his jersey. As I was traveling back home, everybody had the jersey on from little kids to adults, um, you know, in, in the airport. And it was, it was really crazy to see, um, you know, for myself, um I mean, Kobe's someone that I've been watching since I was uh, a little kid. Um, you know, Kobe's somebody that, you know, a lot of guys is the reason why a lot of guys are playing basketball to this day. Um, and a lot of the top guys in the league, you know, all emulated um, his game. Um, for myself, you know, that's somebody who you just saw, you know, who was a true killer, uh, a winner. Um, and just somebody that you you wanted to model your game after, uh, you wanted to model the way you you, you carried yourself after him, um, his worth work ethic, 
I mean, just, uh, I can go on and on about the things that, uh, you know, Kobe did impact myself and, and just, I, I would say, the rest of the basketball players around the world. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely very sad to see. When those, uh, some of those pictures that you showed when you played against Kobe, did you, did y'all ever get into any verbal jarring matches or matches or anything like that? He didn't say a word. He just <laughs> went out there in straight kill mode. He saw, <laughs> he saw me. He saw me. I got switched on to him a couple of times. Tried to take me straight to the post. Hit me with the pump shake, everything. I tried everything, hand in the face, <laughs> tried to foul him. It didn't matter. <laughs> why was I guarding him? I don't know why. But I do remember when I was in Sacramento, he took me straight to the post. Uh, I had him in transition. And then uh, in San Antonio, I don't know what was going on. I had, I, I think I had a garden for about six, seven possessions. And, uh, I mean, I tried, though. I was up for the challenge. Um, I tried. I want to say out of the six or seven possessions, I do think he scored out five of them. <laughs> one I definitely did foul. And then the other one, the other one, he just wasn't loose yet. Um, but, you know. It was a pleasure, though, to, to you know to get a chance to guard him, just to be on the same floor as him. Um, you know, playing him in in Staples Center. I remember uh, during his last season. Um, you know, just to be a part of that. It, it was it was a special moment in my career. Wow, wow, those well, great stories. We appreciate it, man. So, talk. Let's go. Let's let's rewind a little bit to the early part of your career. Growing up, you know, growing up in a household, your father. Uh, Ray Sr. has been a basketball coach for many, many years, and, you know, you guys have moved all over the country. Kind of give some people insight of what it's like to be a a, a child of a, a college basketball coach and having to travel all over the country, almost like you're a child of a military person. Uh, exactly. That's the best way to put it. Um, every time I would move to a new, uh, new city, go to a new school, that's the first thing they would say is um, – is your is your dad in the military? Um, because how much I would move, and I said no, he's a coach. Um, but you know, it was a, it, it's a good experience um, because well, I think what what it is what it did for me was it allowed me to adapt um, to different situations, um, and you have to adapt adapt quickly. I want to say growing up, we probably moved um, maybe six seven times. Um, I def I went to two different high schools. Um, but, you know, being a coach's son is, uh, it has its pros and cons. Um, you know, definitely moving a lot can be difficult, difficult. Um, I had a sister, I have a sister as well. She's two years older than me. Um, but we played sports all the time. So, you know, just moving and adjusting, uh, with playing sports, it was always easy to meet people. Um, I actually enjoyed it, um, uh, because, uh, I got to make a lot of friends. Uh, I've got to travel all over the States and, uh, but it can be difficult at times, though, because moving around like that is just not easy. Uh, joining new teams, going to different schools, you know, making friends and then having to leave them, um, it can be tough. But I think it helped me um, with how my life is going now. You know, just, you know, once you make it to the pros, there's no telling where you might be. Um, like we said earlier, I played in the NBA for four years. Um, now the last three years I've been playing overseas. I mean, I've been all over the world. And I think just having to uh, move at a young age and just adapt, uh, quickly has really helped me with transitioning to all the different teams I've been playing on uh, now and now, now today. Were you ever fearful or nervous uh, playing in like junior high or early parts of high school? Like when your, your dad or mom would come to the games and, you know, since they know the game so much, they'd be those parents. 
in the stands. Oh yeah, I was probably I was probably uh, more more nervous uh, to what my mom was going to say though, honestly, than my dad. <laughs> my mom, she was the one. She uh, she was on top of me every game because my dad wasn't at every game because he was he had a coach or he had to go recruit. So my mom, she would sit up there with the camera man. She had the tripod going and everything. She didn't miss nothing. <laughs> So she was getting, she was recording all the games. Anything I messed up, then I was going home. Before I could even get to see my dad, you know, she was already telling me in the car what I did wrong. And then uh, later that night, you know, me and him are sitting down watching watching the film um, going on. So I was hearing it twice. Mm. Uh, but no, I mean, it was it was always fun though. Um, um, I had two great supportive parents um, who, you know, honestly both know the game well. They're both from Indiana, uh, so. You know, basketball is all you know coming from there. Um, but, no, I mean, it was great having them always. I mean, to this day, man, I'm 28 years old, seven years in. And uh, I would say my mom's still on me every day. Um, and, and my and my dad as well. So I'm thankful for, for having them both. Shout out to mom, Miss Wendy. Uh, met her a couple times uh, during our time together um, when we worked together. Yes, uh, she's a great, great lady. I know she... She stay on you, like you said. So shout out to Miss Wendy. Oh yeah. When you were getting recruited by all these people all around the country, you you get the highest accolade that any high school player can get. Your name McDonald's All American. Your dad was a, a head coach in college at University of Detroit Mercy. What were some of those coaches' pitches to you to come to their schools as opposed to before you decided to go to your dad's school? What were you hearing? What was people saying? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting process. Uh, I'm not going to lie, it was a little weird at first doing the in-home visits. <laughs> you got guys like Billy Donovan and Sean Miller uh, sitting sitting uh, at my kitchen counter, sitting across from my mom and my dad. I'm in the middle. I just, I know my dad also wanted me to play for him. And then, you know, they're saying the same things that, you know, what he envisions for me going to his school. Uh, but, uh, it was cool. It was a cool process, though. Um, you know, they were just, you know, telling me that, you know, they were, you know, really interested in me. Um, you know, they, they really wanted me to be a part of their program, um, to be the point guard of the future for their schools and, um, you know, try to help lead their team to the NCAA tournament. Um, and, and uh, you know, my, my dad, he was really supportive um, with all my decisions. I want to say he went on all my um, official visits and then uh, he never pressured me at all about going to Detroit. I think we really honestly spoke about his school, like really two main times, um, like uh, in the, in the, in the fall going into the, uh, into the school year. And then um, maybe around the winter time, he kind of threw another pitch about going to Detroit. But other than that, he was supportive of all the other schools. Um, giving me great input and insight on everything. And then, you know, for me, at the end of the day, I was really trying to go somewhere where I could play right away as a freshman. Um, all the schools were, you know, were saying that that was going to happen, but you just never know. Um, and then I ended up making the McDonald's game. At that point, I had not committed to a school yet. My dad took me to the Final Four that uh, that year, and um, Gordon Hayward had shot that half-court shot against Duke, almost beat Duke in the Final Four championship game. Butler was in the co same conference of Horizon League. Uh, they also had Shelvin Mack. And uh, right then and there, I kind of you know, told myself, like, you know what, I hadn't committed to a school. I was a McDonald's All-American. I kind of have a little resume building for myself. I'm not too sold on all these other schools yet. 
I know my, my dad's going to challenge me, let me come in, uh, earn everything I get, and uh, get an opportunity to play right away. And, and I think I think Detroit would be a good situation for me. Made the decision. Everybody thought I was crazy. Uh, but, you know, it, it ended up working out, and it was a, a special time playing for my dad at Detroit. When you got that quote-unquote backlash, people saying that you were crazy, like all the, the pundits out there, what was your thought process about, you know, going, like you said, going to play for your dad, you know, putting Detroit on the map, things like that. How special was that for you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, those are things that that you just can't – you can't get back. Those are things that, you know, if I had to make the decision again, I I, I tell everybody to this day, 100% I would do it. Um, just special moments. Like, I want to say my second year, uh, we made it to the NCAA tournament. It was on March 6th. It was actually my dad's birthday. Um, so that was my birthday gift to him that year. The school had made it to the tournament in 13 years. Um, so to do that, to go to the tournament was special. My junior year, my last year, we went to the NIT. Um, so going to the postseason, two out of the three years I was there, uh, having on the memories, getting the opportunity to play on ESPN, televised games, uh, something that, you know, Detroit hadn't seen in a while, this, the university hadn't had in years. Um, and just going to high school there, uh, winning a state championship, going to college there, being successful, uh, you know, having some winning seasons there in, in a city where you, you kind of grow up in a place that, you know, kind of really, kind of really felt like home because I moved so much, uh, was special. And, uh, you know, my sister went to Michigan state. Uh, so my whole family was there and it just felt like home. I uh, had a lot of friends and, and family around the area. So, you know, it was a special time being at Detroit and, uh, I think it helped shape me into the man and the player I am today. Did you ever have any uh, teammates or people tell you, man, you know, your dad's being, you know, you, you're getting preferential treatment because your dad's a coach or, you know, you thought or maybe they thought they weren't getting coached as hard as you. Did you ever hear any of those kind of things playing for your dad? Uh, I did, but, you know, the funny thing is uh, I, met, I was just kind of like, look, man, I, I had an opportunity to go play at the highest level um, as a team in, in the in college basketball and it was, it was no knock, but, you know, I kind of went down to a lower level, honestly, where people didn't think I was going to go play it. So it was almost one of those things where, to be honest, I felt like, you know, like I'm like at the time when I was young, I'm, I'm McDonald's all American, man. Like I'm supposed to come in and start and be the guy and this and that. But when I got there, I realized it, it didn't really matter. Once you get to college, like, it's not high school anymore. You're out here playing with, I'm not saying grown men like the NBA, but there is definitely a different, a different, a different level of competition. Um, so my freshman year, like I had a good freshman year, um, but there were times where I was like, man, this is, this is, you guys are a little better than what I thought it was going to be. Um, but, 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 you know, my dad made me earn everything, though. So in terms of, like, my teammates being able to say he's getting special treatment, no, like, my dad was way tougher tougher on me, man. He would make me run anytime I turned the ball over, anytime I made a mistake in practice where my other teammates wouldn't have to, to do any of that. Uh, he definitely was tough on me a lot my freshman year. I think to try to avoid uh, some of that, um, uh, some of those issues within the team, but, it was it was pretty easy because I, I had been around that team since I was in high school, so I knew the guys pretty well. 
Um, you know, they were always like older brothers to me anyway. So they pretty much welcomed me with open arms. Um, didn't really have any issues. I mean, some of the fans on the road uh, <laughs> would say something when I would go to the free throw line and maybe <laughs> daddy's boy or something like that. But, I mean, it was nothing extreme or anything to the to the point where anything affected me. It, it, was, it was pretty much pretty smooth. Did your dad ever go off on you, like, super hard in front of the team? Would you, like, and y'all get home or talk to later? Like, you know, I had to go off on you, you know, to set an example. You ever get that at all? Uh, it was nothing too extreme. I mean, he definitely went, went would go off on me. He would definitely challenge me. He would definitely push me. Um, a couple times we would butt heads a little bit uh, <laughs> to the point to the point where, you know, I lived on my own. You know, him and my mom were at home. But, you know, I would sneak home to see my mom. She would cook. You know, it would be some times where I hit my mom and say, hey, is dad home? And she like, no, he ain't here yet. So I would sneak home, go eat get my stuff together and then get out of there before he got home. Uh, but no, nah, we were cool though, man. He, uh, my dad isn't like a big screamer, yeller, holler. You know, he's a player's coach. He played the game. So he understands and, uh, his demeanor. He just, he just has a certain demeanor to him. So he'll really more so just give me that look. And when I see, when I see his eyes change from green to gray, <laughs> green to blue, I, I, I knew, uh, I knew he was mad and that's all he had to say. <laughs> After your third year, you decided to go pro. You decided to put your name in the NBA draft in 2013. Uh, you ended up pick pick the 36th pick overall. What was the process like for the family, getting ready for the NBA draft, selecting an agent, kind of give people insight on how that process works? Yeah, um, no, it's a whole process, man, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, so my junior year finished. Um, we had just lost to Arizona State and the NIT. Um, and, you know, we had to kind of weigh my options. Um, do, do, I, do I enter the draft or uh, do I come back from my senior year? Uh, so after after that game, then we just kind of all sat down as a family to try to figure it out. Um, you know, uh, at the time, I, I think you could still do it. There's a program with, with the NBA and NCAA. I think you can kind of send in a letter to kind of get an idea of where you might be projected. Um, all the feedback I was getting, everything was saying, like, uh, I could go maybe 25 to 35. That was my range. Uh, so it actually was pretty true. I ended up going 36, so it's, you know, close to my range. I knew I was going to be, at, maybe if I was lucky, had some good workouts, a late first-round pick, early second-round pick. Um, you know, some people were saying come back. A lot of people were saying, hey, you know, if you're a senior, it's hard to get drafted, uh, especially coming from a smaller school, you know. So I just made the decision uh, to go. Um, I felt confident in my game and myself and where I was at. I felt mature. I felt ready. Um, sat down, met with um, a number of agents with my family. Uh, really helped, you know, really trusted my dad and helped me with the whole process. Um, picked an agent. And then, yeah, man, next thing I know, I'm moving out to California, working out twice a day for two, three months, getting ready for the draft. And uh, the process happened fast and uh, ended up getting drafted to Sacramento and uh, um, everything else just took off from there. So when you get drafted in the second round, that a lot of people have the, the notion or think that second round picks are the non-guaranteed round, you know, but you can still get guaranteed yeah. money in the second round, can't you? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So when you go second round, uh, yes, uh, most of the time it's not guaranteed. 
Um, you're, you're, you have to negotiate a contract with the team. Uh, sometimes the team might, you know, want to see you play in summer league. Maybe they need to see you play in training camp. Like nothing is ever uh, given. You have to earn it. Uh, I was fortunate to get drafted to the Sacramento Kings. Um, the ownership uh, uh, was starting fresh. They were kind of starting a whole new era there. Um, uh, once I had got drafted, uh, they had told me that they had a plan for me um, to be there and that they wanted to sign me to a guaranteed contract, which is a blessing. Um, I ended up signing a three-year deal. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, but I didn't sign it until, uh, you know, uh, I want to say my second game after summer league. So, mm. you know, they can say whatever they want, but it still wasn't guaranteed into – you know, a little bit, you know, like I said, after my second game, it's a summer league now that I think about it. Even though the contract was, was done, but nothing was signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so honestly, I guess they could have still had the decision whether they wanted to uh, guarantee it or not. Uh, but I went out to summer league that year, uh, played well, and, uh, uh, you know, felt like a family in sack um, with every, the new era beginning. And uh, Coach Malone was there at the time. And my boy Ben McLemore, we – best friends to this day uh got drafted together had a great chemistry and uh yeah man they uh, i was fortunate enough to get a three-year deal played the sack two years and then um they guaranteed my third year and i got traded to san antonio so you were there with uh demarcus cousins uh you were yeah. a boogie so a lot, of, yeah. a lot of news was coming out during that time when demarcus was there about him being uh you know the technical fouls and nuisance to the organization et cetera et cetera now, I met DeMarcus a couple times. It's my time being in the league and around the league, and he's a super nice guy, super nice, nicest guy you can ever meet. Why do you think he got such a bad reputation, you know, when you were there and you got a chance to see him every day? And I've known DeMarcus um, since high school, and uh, to me, uh, you know, we've always, been cool. we've always been cool. Never had an issue. That's my guy. Uh, to me, he was a great teammate, great, great player. I think the media would just kind of try to, hype up some situations. I mean, he's a competitor, man. He's a winner. Um, and that's, that's, that's how he plays every night. He's going to try to bully you. He's going to try to punk you. And he's going to try to kill you on the court. Um, <laughs> he, and, you know, off the court, great guy, great teammate on the court. He's, you know, he's a dog. He's a true, he's, a, he's trying to win. Um, and that's just the, his demeanor on the court. And I think, uh, people try to portray this image of him based off of, um, the passion and the emotion that he plays with on the court to how he is off the court as well. Um, but like I said, when I was there, um, you know, we, we all got along. Uh, we always would go to eat. We would hang out off the court. Um, and, you know, it was, it was, for me, it was fun playing with him. Um, he's a dominant big. Um, when I was playing, he would give me a lot of assists. So I can't complain at all. Uh, <laughs> he's somebody I could play off of. He can pass. Um, I mean, he, he could do everything. Um, but I did, you know, I think it was sometimes unfortunate, uh, how the media would, uh, portray him, um, based off the emotion that he would play with. Who were some of your vets when you first got to Sacramento and did you have to do any hazing stories or carry the pink backpack or get the popcorn in the car or anything like that? What were some, uh, some of your vets and some hazing stories you may have? Yeah, so my vet vet was uh, Rudy Gay. Uh, yeah, he really looked out, um, taught me the ins and outs of the league, and 
um, just how to carry myself um, off the court. Uh, so that was somebody I really looked up to. And uh, yeah, man, they had me carrying the uh, Hello Kitty pink backpack. It was uh, a <laughs> Ben, ben, ben Mathemore and myself. We definitely had to carry the pink backpack. Uh, home games, road What's games. What's inside the pink backpack? Is like your personal stuff or just the empty backpack? Man, I mean, it was my personal bag. That was it. I couldn't carry. You know, my teammates walking around with Louis bags and all that. Me and Ben had the Hello Kitty pink backpack. I made it. I made it look good, though. I was. I, I was I, you were swaggy was with nice. that thing. You were swaggy. I was, I was swagging with it. Yeah, I was right with it. And uh, yeah, man, they made sure we had that at all times. Uh, <laughs> so definitely had to do that. Uh, but I mean, we had to do everything in terms of getting the donuts, uh, getting uh, food for the flight, uh, uh, just you know, running all the little errands. But I had Reg, uh, Reggie Evans. Um, was also another one of my vets. Um, so guys like that would stay on top of us, but they were cool, man. Marcus Thornton. Uh, so we, we had we had some good guys, and uh, they always looked out um, for sure. But they definitely they definitely made me um, rock that uh, Hello Kitty pink backpack my whole of the year. <laughs> so when you uh, leave Sacramento and you and you get traded to San Antonio. At that time, you know, everybody knows the Spurs is a model organization. Everyone tries to model their operations like the Spurs. You get to play with Hall of Fame players, Hall of Fame coaches. Talk about some some stories you have from San Antonio. Yeah, um, San Antonio was a, a great experience. Um, obviously, I, you know, didn't really get to play much. Um, there wasn't much opportunity. Um, from a playing standpoint there for me. So I, I just, you know, try to use the the opportunity to soak up as much knowledge as I can and learn, um, get an opportunity to, um, you know, watch and see uh, Greg Popovich, you know, teach the ins and outs of the game um, every day in practice, you know, just sitting on the bench and just watching. Uh, you know, I had to sit next to Tom, uh, Tim Duncan on the plane. Uh, so I would ask him a lot of questions. Uh, Tony Parker was the point guard, you know, just watching him, trying to, you know, pick his brain as much as I could. Uh, watching Ginobili, um, he was at the tail end of his career, but you could never even tell. Um, he was out there, you know, he was hooping. Um, and just being around that culture and that environment, um, seeing how they, how, how, how they win, how successful they are, how they take care of their bodies, um, just how smart they are. Uh, how they carry themselves, uh, how they are with their families, just everything um, just about the whole Spurs culture uh, was great for me um, that year to learn um, just how to be a true pro uh, and and just learn in the game. Uh, so it was a it was kind of uh, uh, stressful just not really playing. I came from Sacramento where I was playing and I had just started the last 30 games and um, you know, I was looking for an opportunity to come in there and get a chance to play on a winning team, but it didn't turn out that way. Um, but I mean, like I said, just getting the experience, um, uh, being with the Spurs and, and just seeing that whole, uh, culture and, um, was, was a great for me to, to, to see and to, to learn only being, I think, 24 at the time. What are some of the things you saw of coach Popovich, and the way he coaches that you went back and talked to your dad about some little nuggets or anything like that? 
Uh, I mean, he's just a very smart coach. He just knows the knowledge of the game. He 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 has uh, you know his basic principles. Uh, you know, I thought before he uh, you know had a hundred plays and the system is very difficult and no, oh, I mean it's pretty free flowing. Um, you have you know some main principles and you know you just if you can follow the system. Uh, I learned how you can keep the game so simple and you can be so successful. Mm. Um, that's, that's one of the things that I think he does a really good job of, of allowing guys to play free um, within a structure, um, but simplifying everything. Uh, it's not a, you don't see a lot of, you didn't see a lot of flashy plays or, or so many high, high, uh, you know, a lot of athletic plays. I mean, you keep everything kind of fundamental. And, and we would work on basic fundamentals, how to feed the post, how to cut, uh, you know, just things that you learn in elementary, honestly, in basketball. He would really, you know, go through the fundamental steps every day, fake high, pass low, fake low, high, pass high, like <laughs> just basic, basic things um, that as – as pro basketball players, you just don't work on it anymore. Everybody just expects you to, since you're in the NBA, you know how to do everything. He, he really simplifies the game and takes you back to the basic fundamentals. Um, so that was one thing that I thought was uh, very interesting um, to see because I, I don't, at the time, I don't think uh, many NBA teams or any um, are working on just simple drills every day um, just to make sure you stay fine-tuned. I had opportunity to work with San Antonio for two years as a, a strength conditioning intern and a lot of stuff that you mentioned. I saw those things every day and it was just almost every day I was in awe about something new. You know, these guys would prepare and be laser focused and it would just be on basic principles like you mentioned. And I, you know, that's the reason why, you know, we were so good and why the, why the reason the organization is so good because they just pay attention to the details. They don't do what they you know, not supposed to be doing, like you said, you're not going to see no alley-oop plays and flashy things like that. They just keep it basic and, you know, and win. Yeah, yeah exactly. One of the uh, – I know it's one of the pictures you posted on your Instagram page um, was your picture of you sitting on the bench, I believe, um, getting some knowledge from Tony Parker and somebody who's played the same position as he does. What was it like? just growing up watching him play and then getting an opportunity to play with him alongside him. At one point you're playing against him. You know, what kind of nuggets did he give you um, during those times? Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, I'm that's someone I looked up to. That's someone when I was growing up, uh, Tony Parker is somebody that, um, you know, you're trying to model your game after. So, you know, me now having an opportunity, this is my teammate, uh, you know, Anytime we're sitting next to each other on the bench, uh, I'll try to ask him questions uh, and practice, uh, just guarding him, uh, <laughs> sitting in the cold tub, like just trying to ask as many questions as I can, watch him as much as I can. And uh, just to see that year, uh, how, how much of a competitor he was that whole summer, like playing in the world championships, he was, he was banged up. Yeah. He had, he was, uh, he had been pretty hurt um, to see how he was, you know, just taking care of his body every day, uh, how he prepared for games, um, and just the laser-sharp focus that he would have for games uh, was something that 
I really took um, and try to implement in the way uh, I approach games. Um, and just to see, I always he was always really focused. Um, that year, I want to say the Warriors won like 72, 73 games. And we were always like, man, right behind them, like mm. eight games behind them. Right. Uh, and to see somebody who has accomplished so much like him, um, who was, you know, kind of on the tail, actually really on the tail end of his career, um, still coming in every day, um, competing at a high level. Uh, I mean, it was it was impressive for me to see. Um, and, and, you know, it's like, man, this guy has been doing this for a minute. He's accomplished so much. And he's still coming in here, and he's still one of the last ones to leave. Um, really, really, really try to help take my worth ethic to to another level, seeing someone so successful who doesn't even need to do this anymore, continuing to do it. Yo, you ain't living your life right. Pick up your device right now. Well, if you're driving, stay focused on the road. And hit that subscribe, follow, semicolon, period, whatever you got to ensure that every week your eardrums is buzzing with our new episodes, all right? I'm subscribed. Yo, you subscribe? All right, we good. Let's get back to the show. So continuing your NBA journey, um, you has a lot of stops in the D-League and G-League. Um, before you go overseas, just want to just you give the people what it's like to get quote unquote called up. If you follow the NBA, you know that the guys that come from the D League get those Gatorade call ups. What is it like when you know for somebody who's been called up numerous times and been on ten day contracts? Kind of give an insight on what that process is like and to get a ten day contract and how those things uh, come about. Yeah, so um, no, the whole. When I was playing the D League, now the G League, uh, it's it's a great um, it's a great way to to you know still you know give yourself a chance to get into the NBA. Um, obviously, a lot of guys have played the NBA and they're still young. They're going to have um, opportunities to go overseas and make a lot of money. But when your dream and your goal is to play in the NBA, um, you know you want to try to stay home and and dug it out. Um, give yourself a chance to make it. And that's exactly what I did. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been called up before uh, a couple times. Um, and it, it's, it feels good. I mean, it's a reward for the hard work that you put in your time in the, in the, in the G League for sure. Um, the G League is definitely a grind, um, you know, but the competition is good. You're playing against uh, NBA players, NBA caliber of players, or guys who are right there on the verge of uh, becoming an NBA player. So every time you step on the floor, um, you know, especially if you played in the NBA or been drafted, you're going to have a target on your back. So you're going to get everybody's best game. Uh, you got to go out there and try to compete at a high level every day um, because you're playing for something. You're playing to, to get the call up. Uh, once you get the call up, uh, you know, you can be happy at the moment, but then it gets real. Um, uh, once you get the call up, you know, you, you still got to go up there and you're only maybe, you know, um, guaranteed 10 days. Um, it's a 10 day contract. You fighting it, you fighting again for another, another 10 days. Um, and then after the second one, you, you know, you're trying to fight to get that, that contract for the remainder of the season. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely a great way to reward guys who have, uh, uh, been grinding all year in, in the G league. And, uh, I mean, you see it now, it's given a lot of guys 
the G League and just getting calls up, call ups are giving a, a lot of guys the opportunity to stick in the NBA. Um, you know, getting to play a whole year, um, getting to get, to get better by playing in the D League when you might get your chance in the, uh, in the NBA on your 10 days. Some guys are given the opportunity to play right away. Um, and if they, um, you know, take full advantage of opportunity, it could lead into a guaranteed contract for many years. So when when you get that call to get that 10 day contract, what like do you get to negotiate terms, payment, or is a set amount of salary for for your for years? How does that work as far as the dollar amount yeah, you get for 10 days? It's a it's a set amount. Uh, it's a set amount um, depending on how many years. Uh, so if you played in the NBA, let's say two years or so, or a year, um, then your 10 day is going to be more. Um, than the average rookie who has no years in the NBA, so it's based off of your of your years. Yeah, so there's no you can't yeah there's no negotiation. It's it's set it's set. Mm, okay. So when you you decided to put the the G League behind you and the NBA kind of behind you, and you decided to take your quote unquote talents overseas. You know, growing up, the one thing we we hear about is as basketball players is playing in the NBA, want to make the NBA. But then we also hear about this thing overseas too as well. When did you find out that, you know what, I did the NBA, I did the D League, G League. Let me try to do make this money overseas and get this overseas bag. Uh, I'll say, I mean, for me, um, the NBA is still the goal for 100%. Uh, I mean, I, my goal is to play at the highest level I possibly can. Um, and my goal is to get back to the NBA. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I had a great opportunity to go play in Spain and to play in the EuroLeague. Uh, so that summer, um, after my fourth year going into the end, yeah, I'm a fifth year, um, you know, I had to just look at the options. Um, it was going to be, you know, maybe try to go to training camp and fight for a spot, which I would have done, but I didn't have, I didn't have any, you know, solidified training camp offers. Um, so is it, you go back to the D league, to the D league and try to do that grind. Uh, so I try to put myself in a position where I could still compete at one of the highest levels. Um, I had had a lot of people tell me about the Euro league and how it's very competitive and, uh, so I, I made the jump, uh, went and played in Spain, ACB, which is considered like the top domestic league in Europe, um, and, and get an opportunity to play in the Euro League. Um, and at the same time, you yeah, you can make a, you can definitely make some good money um, by going over there and playing. Um, definitely was an adjustment. Um, it's a different style of play. It's a different game over there. Um, but I played in the Euro League now for two years. Um, spent two years in Europe, um, and it, it's a it's a uh, it's a different game, um, but it was fun though. Um, you know, playing in the Euro in Euro League is definitely the highest. I would say definitely the highest uh, level of basketball outside of the NBA. You have a lot of former NBA players. You have a lot of uh, the top European players who could uh, definitely sign um, and play in the NBA. They you know they choose to stay home. Um, and be the man in their country, which I understand. Um, uh, but, you know, the competition is at a very high level, and uh, you're going to be challenged. Um, so I spent, you know, two years in Europe, and then now, uh, you know, made the jump this year to China, uh, which has been also a lot, a lot of fun, too. 
going back to Europe real quick, what were some of the the cool coolest places you visited in Europe or a uh, place you got to go shop at or just things like that that you can kind of tell some of your yeah. fans out there that don't that never been to Europe or uh, see some of the pictures yeah. you post on social media? What's some cool stuff over there? Yeah, see, that's another thing. Um, you know, I've been I've been all over the world. Uh, I, I feel like they're it's almost not a country I haven't been to. With the EuroLeague, it's the top 16 teams in the, in uh, all of Europe. Um, so, I mean, I've seen everything. I've been uh, obviously I've been all over Spain. Uh, um, I would say one of the coolest cities, though, to me uh, was uh, well, I really like Barcelona in Spain. Mm. Uh, I really like Barcelona. Uh, what was that food? Greece, like, Greece what, was, what was that food like over there? Oh, uh, the Spanish food is all right, man. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I uh, uh, ever had paella. I don't know if you ever had paella. Oh, yeah. Like Spanish rice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, played in uh, Valencia where, where it's like the home of it. Um, uh, actually, you know, I played in uh, Istanbul, Turkey uh, last year for a little bit. Uh, Istanbul, I actually really I really like Istanbul. It's a really nice city. What's the, um, what's the food like over there? Uh, Turkish food, man. Um, I can't go wrong. A lot of a lot of chicken and rice. Okay. Uh, I, I wasn't complaining. Uh, but you know, a lot of these a lot of these um, countries, especially with the EuroLeague, they're 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 big. They're big. The international cities, so you can get pretty much everything. Mm. Uh, not everything you can as back home, but um, they you can get some Americanized. Uh, Americanized stuff, but yeah, man, I've been everywhere: Tel Aviv, Israel, Milan. Uh, I've been to Moscow, Russia. I mean, I've I've been all over, man. I can't specifically just say, uh, but I would say the top cities are definitely, I think, uh, Barcelona, Madrid, and uh, and Istanbul. I really like those three a lot. What's the uh, shopping like over there? You know, I saw the designer stuff and oh, all yeah, that, yeah, you know, getting sure, all that stuff sure. over there. What you over there spinning yeah, a bag, definitely. spinning a bag on a bag over there? Man, I, I mean, I like clothes, you know, so I would, you know, I find my time, you know, going <laughs> and get some nice pieces here and there. But I mean, it's all, it's all coming from Europe. All, all the, all the nice clothes and and everything are, are all pretty much European based. So the cool thing about it is, uh, you know, you can get some clothes and you get some pieces there that haven't even touched down in the states yet. Mm-hmm. So that was always my thing I, that I really like. Um, you know, you can get some stuff that some people back home don't have yet. Um, but yeah, the the whole European swag is uh it's a uh, it's it's a nice, it's definitely a nice place to shop for sure. What did you ever have any people and friends or family back home telling you, oh, go go to the Gucci store, or the Louis store, or something? Just give me some oh, stuff yeah, over there. Fine for sure, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. They all they all definitely wanted me to bring them some stuff before I came home, <laughs> Christmas presents and all. <laughs> so you leave, uh, you transition from from Europe. So you're currently playing in China, and I just want to give everybody a quick backstory because Ray and I go back a little bit. <clears throat> and uh, last season, I was a uh, strength coach for a team in Ray's current league that he's in playing right now, the CBA. And for most people that don't follow the, the NBA, outside of the NBA and Euro League, China is the place that all NBA players or, or guys that play at the highest level are trying to get to. Number one, because the season's so short. And number two, they can get the most bang for their buck dollars-wise. 
So last year we had um, a transition in our in our uh, roster, and the GM comes up to me and he says, "Yo, E, we need a scoring point guard. Uh, do you know anybody?" And the very first person I thought of was like, "Yeah, I know somebody. His name's Ray McCallum Jr. Man, I know he's my good friend." I said, "Let me hit him up." He was like, "Yeah, we need it. We need. It. We want to go from playing a guard and a big to two guards." And um, I was like, "Okay, cool." So y'all, I hit Ray up on instant uh, instant messenger or Instagram or something like that. I said, "Yo, Ray, you know, hey, you know, what you what you doing right now? Where you at? Like, I know you in Europe, you know, but we need we looking for a point guard." He was like, "Man, I ain't trying to mess with that China situation right now. I can't come over there, y'all." Ray blew me off. <laughs> Man, <laughs> and then so now, so now. Uh, Ray, you're you're in China, you know you're in that league now that uh, that we tried to get you in last year. Tell tell your fans and friend family and friends what it's like to play in China right now in this league, and then we'll get to the uh, the current stuff going on right now in China. Yeah, man, I wasn't trying to blow you off, man. I was just I was locked <laughs> in, the, in the deal in Europe was over with. They weren't gonna let me out, but. Uh, <laughs> If I if I if I would have known I know now I would have I would have definitely tried to get out of that contract and go to China. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, since my first year uh, playing in the CBA, um, I think for me, um, I, I've been I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think what China allows you to do is you have to have a lot of responsibilities. Um, I mean they're asking a lot from you. Um, you know, they need you to score the ball at a high level. Also being a point guard, make plays, get rebounds, run the team, you know, do a lot of things. And I think, I think the best part about it, it, it allows you to, um, really work on your offensive game, um, and become a much better offensive player because you're put in positions where, you know, if you're coming off the bench in the NBA or if you're playing in Europe where it's more structured, you're not going to get the opportunity to have the responsibility to take these type of shots in a game setting. Um, all the things you work on in the summertime, you know, you get to take these shots, make these plays multiple times in the game mm. um, where you get to play through these mistakes where opposed to if you're a young player in NBA, you know, you make one or two of these mistakes, you might come out the game. Uh, same in Europe. They don't play. If you, if you turn the ball over, if you, if you, you know, maybe miss these three shots in a row, uh, you might not see the court again. Um, in Europe, they're so limited in, in how many possessions they have in the game. The game is shorter. It's a different game. You know, so going to China has allowed me to get back, uh, you know, to playing how, you know, I played growing up, high school and college, uh, and, and getting to be in attack mode at all times. And, you know, that's, and that's where I'm at my best. Um, so I'm definitely um, having a lot of fun playing out there. Um, enjoying the whole experience, being in Shanghai, uh, a great city. Uh, so, I mean, it's been a lot of fun. Just hoping that uh, uh, we can get uh, back to playing um, here soon in the near future. So, as you mentioned, you know, right now you're not playing. Um, if anybody's been paying attention to the news in China, um, China's been hit with this coronavirus right now. And the current CBA league is currently on suspension right now. So tell your friends or family about that process. You know what's going on with that situation. Yeah, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, we had the Chinese New Year. 
um, and everything was pretty much uh, under control then. Uh, guys were able to all leave. We had about five, six-day break. Um, some guys went home. Some guys uh, went to some of the islands around China. Uh, so we, we all got out of there for a couple of days. When we left, everything was fine. Uh, we were planning on coming back uh, and working out and, and getting ready to play a game on the second. Uh, two days into the break, um, they sent us a message saying that the CBA was going to delay the season two weeks until February 16th. They told us to stay where we're at for maybe, you know, extra week. We're like, extra week? What's going on? So, uh, you know, everybody extended their trip a little longer. Uh, everybody was prepared. Uh, there's probably about 40 other Americans playing out in China right now. Uh, I talked to a good number of them. Everyone's planning on going back to their teams and, and getting ready to play. We were going to practice for two weeks and then uh, uh, play the games on the 15th, 16th. And then, again, uh, we all get another message saying, hey, it's not safe to be in China right now. Uh, I go home. So it's like I was actually in uh, Bali with uh, a couple of the other American players. And uh, my, my team, my people called me saying, like, uh, yeah, just go home. Like, you leave your stuff here, you get it later. Like, so I, I'm like, so I, I just go to Bali with, you know, just a, a, a little kick in it bag. bag. A little kick in it bag. <laughs> yeah, I just got shorts and shirts. Like, you know, I'm on the beach. I'm chilling. So <laughs> I had to catch it. It took me 30 hours to get home. Yeah. Damn. I mean, it was, it was an amazing trip. But, yeah, it took me a minute to get home. So so then, yeah, so then I had to just get, uh, get home and then, um, you know, just kind of – be on standby waiting to hear what was going to happen with the season. And, uh, yeah, about three, four days ago, they, they told us, um, they're going to postpone the season now until, uh, April. So we're, we're all just kind of still on standby. Um, for me, uh, you know, I'm continuing to stay in shape, keep working out, grinding every day, which I've been doing. Um, and, uh, hopefully, uh, Hopefully they can get the whole situation under control and uh, we can kind of figure out what's going what's gonna to happen. So any, uh, but that's kind of where we're at right now. So that's two months of no no team game. So how does it work with the contract situation? You're not allowed to go play on another team, you know, for a month yeah. or do any little, little small so, little leagues or anything like that? So pretty much, uh, you know, uh, the way it's set up, you, I mean, we, I'm, we're under contract. So – uh, I mean, no, we can't go any, we can't go play anywhere else. Um, only thing you can do, uh, like you say, yeah, for two months, just work out, uh, stay in shape, um, and just be ready for whenever, uh, uh, the league starts back up again. So yeah, that's it, man. Just controlling that. Just trying to, I mean, being home now, uh, enjoy the time with the family. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of crazy. Two months is, is is a, is a long period with a uh, uh, without playing, but I mean your health and safety uh, I think is the most important thing, and and I think that's what they're trying to take care of at the, at the moment. So so like I mentioned earlier, a lot of the draw about for, uh, going to play in China for a lot of guys is that the season goes for like October to the middle of March, which allows some right. guys that want to get on NBA teams to latch back on before the end of the season, make playoff rosters, et cetera. 
now with this extension, you know, of the league going starting back up in April, probably not finishing sometime to the middle of summer, guys can't do that. Yeah, it definitely uh is definitely uh not gonna serve its purpose in, in terms of uh of that opportunity for guys to get back into the NBA, I think after the C B A season. Um, that's kinda how it's looking at the moment. Um so I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see um, how this whole thing plays out. Um, now being the beginning of February, and you got the trade deadline coming up, All Star break. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting um, because when I look at it, you, you got some guys that are playing over there who uh, probably probably will have an opportunity to, to to get picked up by NBA teams. So it's, it might have to come down to the decision whether do they want to go back to China. Um, finish the season there, finish out their contract, or if they have a great opportunity in the NBA, um, I'm sure some of the guys would, uh, you know, probably stay home and, and uh, go play in the NBA. So it's going to be interesting to see how this thing uh, plays out. So as as far as your career goes, um, you got a lot of years left in the tank. You only, like you said, only, you know, late 20s. Still got a lot of good high-level basketball left in you. When you, what's your thoughts and processes on what you're going to do when the the basketball stops bouncing? You going to follow your dad's footsteps? You going to get into some fashion? You know, what kind of some aspirations for you? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm still, you know, figuring out. I think there's, you know, I have three things that really interest me uh, at the moment. I'm taking classes, trying to finish to get my degree. I have my whole senior year to finish, uh, but I've been chipping away at it all all this past past year. Um, so that right now, trying to get that done. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, three things that always like have interest me was, uh, for school, my major is sports broadcasting. I always thought about, uh, you know, doing sp- sports broadcasting, covering games. And that's always something that I've, I've always enjoyed. Um, you know, everybody says, uh, I think I could be a good coach. Um, you know, as I've gotten older and get the opportunity to, to talk to younger players and to see that they actually listen and they do, uh, you know, try to, you know, you know, listen and, and take some of the advice I'm giving them and apply it to their game. Um, that's something I've enjoyed over the last couple of years. So I can definitely see myself being a coach. Um, and then uh, also, I've also thought about, uh, you know, being an agent possibly or working in like a front office. So I know I said three, but those are kind of four things that have always interested me. Um, but I don't know, man, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, right now, year seven. Um, go honestly, man, is to play until I'm, I'm 35. Keep this thing going and uh, and just have fun with it as long as I can. And are you doing any uh, networking or any of those uh, analyst type stuff? Are you doing any of those things you mentioned right now or planting no seeds with anybody? Uh, trying to. Um, I actually, uh, in Sacramento, I played with uh, Ryan Holland. And I could see um, I played there two years with him. And uh, he was kind of at the tail end of his career. And I saw how much he was uh, doing the whole sports broadcasting thing, networking, uh, doing podcasts, radio shows here and there. Um, I've actually done a couple uh, podcasts uh, with my guy, uh, David Nurse, um, on his One Percenter podcast, interviewing some of my friends and some players around the league. Um, and he's trying to trying to help me get into that whole field of, uh, you know, doing the podcast and getting on the mic. That's something I've enjoyed. Um, and 
I don't know, man. I just, I, I, it's kind of been a little difficult being out of the country and overseas, mm-hmm. um, just to really network and stay in contact with people. Uh, um, and, but, you know, I'm going to try to, you know, just try to start reaching out to more people here, um, this summer and, uh, start trying to take advantage of more of those opportunities. Well, I know you mentioned that front office work, you know, uh, I know your sister works for the NBA, you know, I've spoken to her a few times. She gave me some advice when I was considering a job in the NBA. So I know that's a great resource to have in the family. Um, you know, your dad knows connected with a lot of different people and all the, the connections, like the names you've mentioned over the past, I can definitely see you as uh, one of those front office guys, you know, making some deals at a trade deadline type situation. You feel me? Yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, I just feel like I just feel like with uh with that stuff, I think um you know I always I always enjoy and like seeing the teams that have um you know former players um you know that that have been in those situations that they know what it's like. Um, you know, I think the best teacher in life is experience, and they have the most experience. Uh, I feel like um, in some situations, uh, I think it's always good. Um, to have a, a respectable former player, um, you know, being able to be one of the guys to be one of the main decision makers. So that's always something that's kind of interests me. Who you got winning the NBA championship this year? Uh, right now I don't want to just go based off the records, but I got I got the Lakers and the and the Bucks in the finals, and uh, I think I got the, I got the, I got the Lakers winning and all the shit. Mm, okay, is that a little uh? Demarcus Cousins bias over there, or did the no, team man, is I better? Just, I, I, I just, I just feel like, uh, I just feel like, uh, with Braun and AD um, in the surrounding core that they have, I just feel like when it, I just feel like it's their time, um, and I, I, I do think they might make a maybe one last move here today before this trade deadline uh, comes to a close. And I think they might add one one last solid piece um, that might help them give give them that edge. I mean, but Braun playing the way he's playing now, I think if the Lakers stay healthy, him and AD, I, I think those two are going to be going to be a tough matchup. Well, I don't really know who's going to win, or I don't have a dog in the race, you know, because I know so many guys on so many teams, players and coaches. I just want to see a good finals. You know, six, seven games, you know, keep us on the edge of our seat, no blowouts, and, you know, hopefully the the best team wins. So we appreciate you coming on the No Referees podcast today, sharing some great stories, giving us some insight on your travels, um, what you got going on these days, and we're glad you made it back from China healthy and safely, and we look forward to what's next. Um, All Everybody go follow Ray at RayMac3 on all his social media accounts. And, you know, we just look forward to seeing what's next in your life, brother. My man, E, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me again. No problem, brother. Thank you, man. All right, man. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.